Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Well, Central Baptist Church, it's great to be with you this morning. We'll be reading from the book of Mark, that's Mark's gospel, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, relatively easy to find, about the halfway mark in your Bible, a little bit to the right of that. If you hit Revelation, you've gone too far. (laughs) Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 is an appropriate reading today, especially if you were maybe a Presbyterian or an Anglican. They follow a annual reading plan, and this is the week that they remember the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Mark chapter 1 from verse 1 to verse 15, it so happens, and this is a sweet providence because I'm a Baptist, not an Anglican or a Presbyterian, but it just so happens that it is the baptism of Jesus Christ. So, sweet providence. Mark chapter 1, beginning at the first verse, even as we come to the reading of God's word, We remember that this is not a mental exercise, this is a spiritual exercise, and so we would be wise to bow our heads and bend our hearts before the Lord in prayer as we come to the reading of his word. Let's have a moment of prayer before we come to the passage. Father God in heaven, I'm reminded that your word says that all men are like grass. Our glories are like the flowers of the field. The grass, it withers, the flowers, they fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. This morning, Father God, we would stand on your word. Because we know it is without error, it is sufficient for all matters of life and godliness. By your Holy Spirit active within our minds, might they be renewed. Your Holy Spirit, active within our hearts, might they be stirred. Your Holy Spirit, Lord God, active in our lives, might we be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. For your own name's sake. These things we pray in the sweet name of Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and to the glory of our Father who is in heaven. Amen. Mark. Chapter 1, beginning at the first verse, hear the word of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel's hair and wore leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, 
After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. And was baptized by John the Baptist. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. And the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and angels ministered to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is Fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Just so far in the reading of God's word. Amen? Amen. Let me tell you the main idea, the big picture, the argument from this morning's text. Mark chapter 1. From verse 1 to verse 15, it is this, I'll repeat it twice, just so that you have the big idea in front of you. The Son of God offers the kingdom of God to those who accept the gospel of God. Let me repeat that big idea. This morning's text from Mark chapter 1, beginning at the first verse, going through to the 15th verse, is teaching this big idea. The Son of God offers the kingdom of God to those who accept the gospel of God. Now this passage, I'm not a very good Baptist this morning, this passage is split into five parts. If I was a good Baptist, this would be a three-point sermon. But this morning is going to be a five-point sermon. Let me tell you the five points. Then you have a good idea of how we're working through the text and how long we still have left to go. The first part is Jesus Christ the Messiah predicted by the prophets. Jesus Christ the Messiah predicted by the prophets. And you can see that in verse 1 to verse 3. The second part is from verse 4 to verse 8, and it's Jesus Christ, the Messiah, proclaimed by John. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, proclaimed by John. The third point is found in verse 9 to 11, and it's really the climax of the text this morning. It is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, affirmed by the Father and the Spirit. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, affirmed by the Father and the Spirit. The fourth point, second to last, is found in verse 12 and 13. And it's Jesus Christ, the Messiah, tempted by Satan. 
Jesus Christ the Messiah, tempted by Satan. The final point this morning is in the last two verses, verse 14 and verse 15. And it's no longer Jesus Christ the Messiah spoken of by others, but this time Jesus Christ the Messiah declared by the Son. It is what the Son declares in those last two verses that will be of interest to us. So that's the that's the roadmap of how we're working through this passage. Let's go take a look at that first point. Verse 1 to 3, Jesus Christ the Messiah predicted by the prophets. Let me give you a big idea of what's happening in these three verses. If I had to summarize these three verses, I would summarize them like this. Ancient prophecy foretells a wilderness prophet announcing the coming Messiah and Lord. Let's read those three verses, have them close to mind. I'll explain them briefly this morning. Verse 1 begins by saying, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. What's going on in those three verses under the heading predicted by the prophets? Well, the writer Mark begins by saying in the beginning. Uh, Those words throw us back to Genesis Chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It well might well be that Mark has that in mind when he pens these opening phrase in the beginning. The, the beginning of what? Well, it's the beginning of his gospel account. Or possibly it says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That would mean the beginning of Jesus' gospel Uh, Or, alternatively, the beginning of Jesus' account of himself. In other words, everything that Mark is writing down is, in fact, an account of Jesus Christ about himself. And it says Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus, the first name of our Lord and our Savior, that would be the name that his mother called him, the name that his friends called him. Uh, but with an, an additional uh, title at the end, Jesus Christ, that word Christ meaning the anointed one, the Messiah. Jesus is being heralded even at the beginning of Mark's gospel in the opening verse as the Messiah. And we are told furthermore, not only is Jesus the Messiah, but he is the son of God of the same essence as the eternal Father who is in heaven. That first verse really stands as a a title at the beginning of Mark. Um, In some ways, it stands apart from the verse to come. There's a little bit hidden in the verse to come, uh, a little bit hidden in terms of the verses to come. The next two verses talk about a Messiah, but that Messiah has not yet been revealed. He gets revealed in the next few verses. And so, Chapter 1, verse 1 of Mark is really a title of the entire book. This will be an account of Jesus Christ. It will be about Jesus Christ, his own story. This is the gospel of Mark. It says in verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah 
the prophet. Well, in actual fact, what comes next in verse 2 and in verse 3 is a compilation of three texts, one taken out of Exodus, one taken out of Malachi, and one taken out of Isaiah. Uh, But Isaiah is given to us because Isaiah represents the prophets of the Old Testament. In many ways, even this week, I heard Sinclair Ferguson say, Isaiah is the one prophet who strains his neck out above the rest, peering, hoping to see who the Messiah that he is prophesying about is to come. We see that in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah in those messianic um, songs, those servant songs of, of Isaiah. We see it in the 6th chapter and in the ninth chapter as Isaiah gazes first on the holiness of God and then gives a list of attributes of who Jesus Christ is. Well, Mark here is recording the words of God here. God himself says, I, the Lord, will send my messenger before your face. There's three actors in verse 2. And the first actor is the Lord. It is God himself. The second actor is a messenger that God will be sending to declare a message to God's people. And the third actor is this your face. God is speaking to someone saying, I will send a messenger ahead of you. And in actual fact, as we read these three texts in their contexts, Exodus, Malachi, and Isaiah, The Lord reveals that not only will he send a messenger and not only will he send a Messiah, but the Lord himself is coming. Prepare the way for the Lord. The Lord, the God, is coming. This person that God is going to send to be a messenger, to herald the way of this Messiah, will be like one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. The idea of straightening paths is get your crooked lives straightened out. Repent, turn away from your sin and turn to me. Well, a couple of questions from those first two verses. Who is this Messiah that the prophet Isaiah is speaking about? And who is this herald that will come and announce this messenger from God? Well, that's answered in the next point from verse 4 to verse 8. The first point predicted by the prophets in the Old Testament. The second point proclaimed by John. Now, I mean, if you've been around Baptist circles for any length of time or attended Sunday school, you actually know the answers to all these questions, right? Now, we've been in this ground before, but Mark is revealing this one step at a time. First, he now reveals the messenger, and the point is proclaimed by John. Let me tell you what this point is at a high level, and then we'll read it, and I'll explain it briefly to you. John appears. He appears proclaiming repentance, baptizing all and prophesying of a mighty one to come. Now, let's read the text so that we have it near to mind. Verse 4, together with me. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism for the, uh, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And 
all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Just so far, verse 8. Well, it says John appeared. And the idea here is that John appeared with no context of his past. Uh, uh, Mark doesn't bother telling us that he is a cousin of Jesus and that he was born of Elizabeth and the story of the angel giving his name. Uh, no, John in Mark's gospel uh, just appears with, with no context, no backstory to him because John is not the featured event in this story. And he's baptizing in the wilderness. The wilderness is just a, a desert area about 600 square kilometers uh, away from Jerusalem in the Jordan area. And he's proclaiming a baptism. Uh, that's uh, the word baptizo. It's full immersion. It was a representation, a ritual washing, which was very common in the New Testament times. This particular ritual washing, however, uh, was a washing of identification, identification that, that you had repented, turned away from your sins, uh, that you had made your path straight. And he was baptizing people in the River Jordan. In fact, he was baptizing great numbers of people. Uh, all of Jerusalem and all of Judea were flocking to John the Baptist. He was an incredibly charismatic, enigmatic uh, uh, preacher. And people were attracted and drawn to him and his message of repent for the forgiveness of sins. We read something about what he looked like, and if you're a kid, this is crazy. He wore camel's hair, which couldn't have been comfortable, because I would imagine camel skin and, and camel fur, uh, that's, they probably don't have furs, is itchy, and a leather belt. Uh, but really, John has been portrayed to you as the quintessential prophet from old. Described in the Old Testament in just these kinds of words. Well, he's eating locusts and wild honey. That's not a major point of this text, but in the desert area, locusts abound. It turns out they're one of the clean animal groups. Uh, and this is what John the Baptist eats. He is a strange man in every way. And, and yet large numbers of God's people, the Israelites, are being attracted to his teaching, sitting under his teaching, hearing his command to them from God to repent for the forgiveness of their sins. But that wasn't the only thing that he preached. He also preached of one that was to come. He also preached of a Messiah that would come after him, not cut from the same mold of him. Jesus would later say of John the Baptist that he was the greatest man who ever lived, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, for indeed he represents the transition from the old to the new, the, the greatest prophet who ever lived. And yet John says of the one to come, I'm not even worthy 
to untie his sandals. This would have been the lowest job that a slave would do on behalf of their master, take off their shoes and clean their dirty feet. John says, I am not even worthy of that. He says, I've baptized you with water to represent what is going on on the outside, uh, what is going on on the inside of your heart. But the one who comes will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will wash you, not on the outside, but he will wash you with waters of regeneration on the inside. Friends, John appears here proclaiming repentance, baptizing all, and prophesying of a mighty one to come. Which brings us to our third point, and that is affirmed by the Father and the Spirit. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, affirmed by the Father and the Spirit. We see that in verse 9 to 11. Let me tell you what's going on in those three verses, and then we'll read them. I'll give some brief explanation of what they mean. As Jesus is baptized in these verses, the Spirit descends and God calls him his son and God says he is well pleased with him. Let's read the text together. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came out of the water... Immediately he saw the heavens being opened and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Just so far to verse 11. What's going on? In in those days, in what days? In the, in the days that John the Baptist was still baptizing, because we're going to discover something about John the Baptist a little later. Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. Uh, Jesus wasn't born in Nazareth. Uh, we've just come through the Christmas season. He was born in Bethlehem in Ephrathah, but he grew up in Nazareth. After spending some time in Egypt, uh, his family came and relocated to the north of Israel, to the north of the country in Galilee of the Gentiles. That's where Jesus came from, uh, but he came very specifically so that he could be baptized by John. Uh, we read elsewhere that John didn't want to baptize Jesus. This is a man who John recognized was worthy of so much honor, he couldn't even touch his feet, let alone go through the process of baptizing the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But Jesus wasn't baptized for his own sake in order to identify with sin removed from his life. Jesus was baptized for our sake in order to identify with us and our need to have sin removed from our lives. Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came out of the water, immediately the heavens were torn open. The, the word heavens there could refer to the sky above. It could refer to the cosmos beyond that. But in actual fact, it's referring to heaven, the throne of God, where, where God abides. And we know that because a voice comes out of this heaven saying, the voice of God. And in this particular case, the voice of God, the Father. And that voice from heaven says, you are my beloved son. That idea of 
beloved is unique son. That idea of beloved is one and only son. That idea of beloved carries with it all the weight of the relationship that the father had with the son before the earth was formed and made. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. In John chapter 1 verse 1, that that word with is toward, uh, that the father was toward the son and the son was toward the father. Yeah, in Mark chapter 1 verse 11, a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, the one that I was with, the one from eternity past, the one in which we have oneness of same essence relationship with. This is God from God and light from light and true God from true God, begotten, not made of one being with the Father. With you, I am well pleased. As God looked down on all of humanity, from Adam all the way through to the child that was born today, as he looked at the billions and billions of lives that he has created, one life stands apart from all the rest. A son, beloved, begotten and not created. A son who, unlike each and every one of us, he can be well pleased with because he is perfect and blemishless, a lamb of God who can take away the sins of the world. Jesus, the Messiah, is affirmed by the Father and the Spirit. Even as this happens, the Spirit descends like a dove, not like a white dove that flutters down and lands on his shoulder. No, this is a comparison. Uh, there is a, a comparison being made between the Spirit and a dove. We're not told that it is a dove that lands on Jesus' right or left shoulder, but rather the Spirit descends from heaven and abides and rests on Jesus Christ, the begotten Son of the Father. Fourth point, Jesus, the Messiah, tempted by Satan. Jesus, the Messiah, tempted by Satan. Let me tell you what's going to happen in the next two verses, and then I'll read them and briefly explain the meaning. The Spirit drives him, that's Jesus, into the wilderness where Satan tempts him and angels minister to him. The Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness where Satan tempts him and angels minister to him. Let's read from verse 12 and verse 13. The Spirit immediately, by the way, for those of you who want some homework, either this afternoon or tomorrow, uh, go and read the book of Mark. It's just 15 brief chapters. We'll talk about the 16th chapter at another stage. Um, it's, a, it's a brief book. Um, but look out for the word immediately, how often Mark uses that word. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and angels were ministering to him. It says in our text this morning that the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. You might ask why. Why being driven into the wilderness? Couldn't Satan have tempted, it, tempted him anywhere? Well, it seems that Jesus was going to be patterned the same way that the great 
prophets of old were patterned in the Old Testament. You might remember Moses, uh, a time in the wilderness as a shepherd. Uh, you might remember that, that the wilderness represents a time of temptation, a time of testing for the people of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, the wilderness is a place of testing and a place of encounter with Almighty God. And so the Spirit drives uh, Jesus. He is controlled by the Spirit. He is animated by the Spirit. He is motivated by the Spirit. And it drives him into the wilderness, into the desert. And he is there for 40 days. And over that period of time, he is tempted by Satan. Satan the deceiver, Satan the devil, we might call him Lucifer, in this passage revealed as the ancient foe, that serpent of old. Jesus Christ tempted in every way and yet found to be without sin. This is a very important part of Jesus' perfect life. That, friends, Jesus is not just God who came to this world and lived a life in kind of uh, unconnected to our experience in every way. But this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came into this world and lived the same kind of life that you live, faced the same kinds of temptation that you find, and yet was found blameless. For all the temptation that Satan hurled against him, nothing could stick against the impeccable Son of God. Fully God and fully man, Jesus was tempted in every way and yet remained the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Well, we've had four points. There's only one point that remains. The points that we've looked at were Jesus, the Messiah, predicted by the prophets. Jesus, the Messiah, proclaimed by John. Jesus, the Messiah, affirmed by the Spirit and the Father. Jesus the Messiah, tempted by Satan. But now we hear Jesus, this Messiah, who has been revealed by Mark as the Christ, the Son of God. We hear from him himself as he enters into his ministry in verse 14 and verse 15. Declared by the Son. Let me tell you what's going to happen in these two verses and then read the verses and explain them briefly to you. John in these verses, is arrested, and Jesus begins to proclaim the gospel. John is arrested, and Jesus begins to proclaim the gospel. It says in verse 14, now after Jesus was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And believe in the gospel. Just so far to the end of verse 15, what's happening here? Well, now, after John was arrested, a time has elapsed that Mark isn't too concerned about. Uh, but John, the baptizer, has been arrested. He has been thrown into prison. At this time, Jesus enters into his public ministry, and he does so in Galilee. Galilee is in the north of the country. Jerusalem is in the south of the country. Jordan is a little bit to the east of Jerusalem. Jesus has now moved geographically to the north of the country, and he is ministering in an area that really becomes his home base for the rest of his ministry. From time to time, he goes down to Jerusalem, but mainly Jesus ministers in Galilee. Galilee. Jesus 
begins as part of his ministry to proclaim the gospel. Now, this is very important because the rest of the chapter is really going to involve Jesus' miracles as God attests to Jesus being the Son of God, being the Messiah, through miracle signs and wonders in the rest of chapter 1 of the Gospel of Mark. But at Right at the very beginning, as Jesus enters into his ministry, John uh, Mark wants you to know that Jesus' ministry was fundamentally a message. And it was a message about a kingdom. It was a message about a kingdom that people had a great expectation and were keenly awaiting to see ushered in. You see, the prophets of old in the Old Testament, had spoken of this Messiah to come. And as they had spoken about him, they spoke about a kingdom that he would usher in, a kingdom which was without equal, a kingdom where Israel, the people of God, would have no foes stand against them, a kingdom that would have a king reigning and ruling over his people in the authority and the name of Yahweh. The people had an expectation of this. They had a desire for this. It had started thousands of years before, even in Genesis chapter 3, a promised seed. And in Genesis chapter 12, a promise to Abraham of all the nations of the world being blessed. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, a promise to David that one would sit on his throne whose kingdom would have no end. In Isaiah, 950 years before the coming of Christ, one who would be called eternal father and prince of peace. A kingdom that was promised in the last passage, as Malachi said, one would come in the power of Elijah to make proclamation in the way straight for the one who came in the name of the Lord. Now this king stands before them and begins to talk about this kingdom. And Jesus says, this kingdom is on offer. This kingdom is Partly the reign of God and partly the rule of God in this world. It's a kingdom that God is presently in control of because he is sovereign over all things. But it is a kingdom which is presently being extended through the reign and through the rule and through the triumph of God in the hearts and the souls of men. And Jesus stands before people and he says, the kingdom is at hand. We read elsewhere in the book of Matthew and in the book of John that John the Baptist had also said that the kingdom was at hand. Uh, John meant that the kingdom was nearly here. The time had nearly been fulfilled. But as Jesus stands before people, he says, the kingdom is at hand. The time has been fulfilled. Uh, The kingdom being at hand with Jesus is not just the kingdom is close geographically, but the kingdom is in your presence. Jesus, the king, has arrived. He puts on offer the kingdom. And he puts on offer the kingdom to all who will receive or accept the gospel of God. The son of God offers the kingdom of God to those who accept the gospel of God. It says in our text, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Friends, repent 
is turn from your sins, make those paths straight, and believe the message which has been proclaimed to you in the power and the authority of God. Five points. One argument. The Son of God offers the kingdom of God to those who would accept the gospel of God. How do we go about applying this text in our lives this morning? I would like to speak to just two groups of people that are here this morning. And the first is believers. It's those who have placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Friends, to you, I want to make just two simple observations based on the kingship of Jesus Christ. And the first is this. Obedience to his lordship is the fruit of your salvation. Obedience to the lordship and the kingship of Jesus Christ is the fruit of your salvation. In what we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, we have been given his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's job is to produce obedience in us. That's what the new covenant is all about. Where God says, I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and my ways. Obey my rules. Obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is the fruit of your salvation. But not only that, obedience to the lordship and the kingship of Jesus Christ is evidence of your salvation. Believer, his lordship, the the gospel that Jesus proclaimed is a call to discipleship. A call to follow him in subservient obedience. It's not just about praying a prayer or making a decision. Jesus can positively say and write in 1 John chapter 2 verse 3, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And if the positive is true, the negative is true as well. And that comes in the very next verse where John writes, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. Friends, as we read this passage of Scripture and hear this truth that the Son of God offers the kingdom of God to those who accept the gospel of God, for us we have put our faith and our trust in Jesus. We have put our faith and our trust in a king. And it is the responsibility of our lives, it is the joy of our lives to live out lives to his praise and to his glory. Obedience is both the evidence of your salvation and obedience is also the fruit of your salvation. To those of you who are here and have not yet come under King Jesus, you are living in the world and you are living for yourself. You are an unbeliever who has not yet placed their faith and their trust in him. Can I say that repentance is not a synonym for faith? Repentance is spoken about in this verse in two places, both in the words of John, but also in the words of Jesus at the end of this passage. And it is not a simple synonym for faith. Scripture teaches that sinners must both exercise faith in conjunction with repentance, and it does that in a number of places. But if you need a place to go and look, go and take a look at Acts chapter 2, verse 38, verse 17, verse 30, and chapter 20, Verse 21. 
Repentance is a change of mind from embracing sin and rejecting Jesus to rejecting sin and embracing Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Genuine repentance, which comes when a person submits to the Lordship of Christ, cannot help but change your behavior. And so you are not saved by works that you do, but you are saved by the object of your affection. Jesus came into this world and lived a perfect life, the life that you and I could never live, the perfect and spotless, blemishless Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, the begotten Son of the Father. And on the cross as Jesus died, he did not die for his sin. Friend, he died for your sin. That the way might be open to the kingdom of God to you. A kingdom of light. That you might be transferred from a kingdom of darkness and brought into his presence. His life represents that God has accepted the payment which Jesus made. When he rose from the grave, he rose with the power and the authority, not just to forgive sins, but to give life, eternal life, to those who believe in him. The call on your life is the same call that John the Baptist made at the beginning of this passage and that Jesus makes at the end of this passage. Repent. Turn. Turn from your sin and your love for this world and cast yourself upon the goodness of Jesus Christ and you will live. The Son of God offers the kingdom of God to all who will accept the gospel of God. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God in heaven, I do thank you for your word. As we prayed at the beginning, it is faithful and true. And upon it we can build our lives, we can stake our testimony. Even as we read your word this morning, we see Jesus Christ clearly and evidently in its text. And we hear the gospel message once again. The death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and a call to repent and cast ourselves upon him. For those who are blind, we ask, would you give them eyes that they might see? For those, Lord God, who are saved, we ask, would you give us courage to live our lives to the praise and to the glory of our King, King Jesus? We ask these things. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.